All right, good morning, Crosspoint, and good morning to those who have joined us online. How are we all doing today? Good, it's a little bit chilly out there. Feels more wintry than it does fallish, but I suppose that that is what happens when it is almost winter. I am very happy to be able to share with you today what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart, what I believe the Lord has for you, but also myself included. So I'll, I'll admit that I like to be trendy and fit in. I like to be hip on fleek, as some might say, in the know and whatever else you might want to call it. I want to be cool. Who doesn't? And what was cooler than in the 90s? The WWJD bracelet. Does anybody know what that stands for? What would Jesus do? That's right. Uh, the trend actually began in 1989. I was a year old, so that may either make you feel really old or really young. I'm now 32, do the math. But I'll give you the backstory, or the way back backstory. It stems from the 1400s, when Thomas Akempis wrote the book, The Imitation of Christ. Fast forward to 1881, when Charles Spurgeon wrote a sermon influenced by the book entitled, What Would Jesus Do?, which then inspired Charles Monroe Sheldon to write the book in his steps and has now sold more than 50 million copies. And here we find ourselves, or we did in 1989, a youth leader from Michigan read the book and held on to the phrase, what would Jesus do? In an attempt to make the phrase a little bit more memorable to teach to her youth group, she shortened to the acronym WWJD. She even created bracelets for the youth to wear as a reminder. And well, as we know, it took off, and you can still buy them today. Of course, it's cheesy. It always was, but it gave us a reason to wear a somewhat cool-looking bracelet and maybe even a conversation starter to talk about Jesus. Sometimes, most times, it is important, though, to be relatable than it is to be relevant. Asking what Jesus would do shouldn't be a trend. It should be a way to live. How often do you think of Jesus when making decisions or in relations to others? When someone cuts you off, are you going to move on or maybe display another rather unfriendly gesture? No matter what it is, or where you find yourself in life, it is always cool to be like Jesus. Now, in order to truly follow Jesus and to be his disciple, we would be remiss if we didn't take the time to consider what Jesus would do, whether you're wearing the bracelet or not. But before I begin my message today, I want to pray. Father, I thank you for the message that you've laid on my heart. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. I pray that this message would permeate the hearts, God, of the people that are listening to it, Lord. I pray that we will not leave the same. Change our hearts in Jesus' name. When considering what Jesus would do in the situations we're faced with today, it's imperative to look at what he did. We have the Bible to look to for that. So what would Jesus do? Number one, Jesus would rest. Being busy has been such a rewarded lifestyle nowadays. Being a workaholic is normal and fully acceptable, even encouraged for some. Do you want to know the truth, though? I don't want to be normal. Not if it means that I'm going to be running myself into the ground, just try to, to get ahead. If it means I'm weird because I live a healthy life, that is totally fine with me. I want to be so peaceful that it seems odd that I'm not running around freaking out whenever something unexpected happens. 
I want to trust the Lord to such a degree that nothing can shake me. Psalm 61, 1-2 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Now, this next one is one of my favorite verses. I go to it when I'm feeling overwhelmed and anxious and worried. And it comes from Isaiah 26.3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Of course, it feels natural to fill your schedule as much as possible. It's not really that hard to do. At any given time, there could be a thousand different things begging for our attention. And it's not just our kids, although that's very much my reality. I think one of my favorite things about Jesus when there was chaos going on all around him was that Jesus was napping. Mark 4, 38 to 40 says Jesus was inside the boat, sleeping with his head on a pillow. The followers went and woke him. They said, teacher, don't you care about us? We're going to drown. Jesus stood up and gave a command to the wind and the water. He said, quiet, be still. Then the wind stopped and the lake became calm. Now, I realize that this is a command that he gave to the wind and to the waves, although I do feel as though he's also giving that command to his disciples to tell them to chill out. When the storm is raging, he is literally snoring, or I assume that's what he was doing. That is the type of trust and peace I want in my life. And the good news is, it's possible. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice it says, come to me. It's a command. You need to go to him yourself to get the rest you need. It won't happen on its own. It requires action. We can all admit that sometimes rest feels impossible. That slowing down is a nice idea for some people, but not a reality for most of us. But the Sabbath isn't just a suggestion. It's non-optional because it's a command from God. Deuteronomy 5.12 says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. God knows the importance of slowing down, so much so that he made it a commandment and practiced the Sabbath after creating the world. We need to slow down in order to be able to hear from him. If God himself, the creator of the universe, took a day off, how much more then do we mere humans need to take a day off? When Jesus feeds the 5,000, he has the fish and the bread, and he, he performs the miracle of feeding all of these people. As you would assume, that would be very exhausting for him and his disciples. In Mark 6, 30 to 31, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I'm going to share with you some of the best deeply spiritual and theological advice I have ever been given. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Think about it. When you're tired, exhausted, how kind are you? How are your words? How are your interactions with others? How much patience do you have? Short answer, none. So go get some sleep. Go relax and see how much of a change 
that makes in your mood and in your interaction with other people. Not only would Jesus rest by going to sleep, but he rested in the peace of God. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen to him. Was he looking forward to it? No. But he knew God's plan for his life was best. Just so we're clear, he did ask God to take it away, but he trusted that God knew best and he knew what was best for him and for the rest of humanity. Resting, though, requires margin, which allows for the unwinding you need from everyday stresses and frustrations. Life is heavy. I'll say it again. Life is heavy. We need to find solace in the Lord or we will fall apart. We won't be any good for anyone, let alone for God. God will give you rest, but you need to slow down enough to hear from him. So what does your schedule look like? You may have to actually schedule time with God. The things that we're actually intentional about will happen. If we are not intentional with our time, things will slip away from us. Maybe it's as simple as setting a timer on your phone to spend time with the Lord. Number two, Jesus would pray. He was God, and yet he knew he needed time with his Father. There are several verses in the Bible where Jesus would be in the middle of something, and he knew he needed to go pray, so he would go in the, in the corner or, or in a, a garden somewhere, whatever it was, he would go get away and spend time with God. I encourage you to pay attention during your own Bible reading how many times you see Jesus leaving the disciples to go off and pray somewhere. It's a lot. Matthew 14, 23 says, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. I would generally consider myself an extrovert, but I think after having children, especially two kids very close together, I have very much realized the value of alone time and how desperately I need it and how much more I need time with God. When I attended Kingswood, it would have been between 2011 to 2014, we had a speaker come to our chapel service from the Penn Jersey district. She was a superintendent. I don't know about you, but I rarely have mind-blowing realizations during sermons. It doesn't have to be that way in order for life change to happen, but this particular sermon turned a light bulb on for me. She said that in the Bible, when people would talk to Jesus, they were actually praying. If talking to Jesus is prayer, then talking to him in person is also prayer. Cool, right? That's something that I had never thought about before, and it totally changed my life. Jesus was in constant prayer. He was always going to his Father in all times, and we know that he prayed while he was dying on the cross. He made praying a constant practice, and I think we should too. What else would Jesus do? Jesus would obey. Jesus obeyed God. Remember, Jesus didn't always have his, an- his prayers answered how he would have liked. He did die on the cross, but he knew what God had asked of him, and he did it. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can I be real for a minute? Sometimes obeying God hurts. Sometimes it's so painful that we wait on what it is that we know God is asking because there's a good chance our entire lives are going to change. I'm a co-parent. 
which means I raise two children with a person who does not live under the same roof as me. We do our best to raise our kids with the same rules and philosophies of parenting, but like any relationship in life, we do not always see eye to eye. It has gotten better. It used to be a lot harder when emotions were all over the place, but the thing I found the most helpful in navigating that sometimes complicated relationship was asking God what he would want me to do. What is the best thing I can do here? What would Jesus do if he were in the same situation as me? How would he handle this conflict? What I soon began to realize was that I needed to quickly button my lips. There's a reason why James says to be quick to listen and slow to speak. It gives much better results than quick to speak and slow to listen. I urgently needed to go to God when I was dealing with bigger topics of conversation and things that were more difficult than what theme for the girls' birthday parties we were going to do. I realized I needed to listen and obey immediately if I wanted the outcome to be godly and loving. There's a bit of a misconception about obeying the Lord that says as long as I eventually listen or I mostly listen, I'm still technically obeying. But when we obey is equally as important as what we are obeying. I'm going to say that again. When we obey is equally as important as what we are obeying. Timing matters. That is true for pretty much everything in life. Your gaslight comes on. When you choose to get gas, matters. Waiting until you feel like it leaves you stranded on the side of the road wishing you had gotten it sooner. I'm very familiar with this issue, not because I do it, but I may be related to someone who does. <laughs> when you decide to follow the Lord's prompting for praying for someone, the timing matters. If you wait, you will have missed the opportunity to do so. Not everything can be on our time. I could list many examples of why timing matters, but I do think you get the idea. Listening to God is the same thing. Sometimes waiting leaves us with regrets. Because Jesus was always in the presence of God, always going to him in prayer, he knew what God was asking of him. He was in tune with the Father. He knew the voice of God. Because knowing God makes knowing his voice much easier. The more you know the voice of God, the less you will question when you are hearing it. A lot of times when my kids are getting um, into trouble or they're, they're writing on the walls, or they're getting into um, bum cream is what they used to do, or peanut butter, or whatever it is, whatever mess they're going to make, I will stop them and say, Blake, is that a good choice or a bad choice? Now, she's a little bit tougher because she thinks everything's pretty much a good choice. If I go to Harper and I say, Harper, is that a good choice or a bad choice? She will come back and say, oh, that was a bad choice. Okay, so she's four years old, but she understands the difference between a good choice and a bad choice. So now we are going to play a game. All right, let's get started. So the point of the game is for us to say whether something is a good choice or a bad choice. A word is going to come up, come up onto the screen, and you are going to say whether it is a good choice or a bad choice. We're not able to sing right now, but we are able to speak, so we are going to use our voices. The first one is lying. Is that a good choice or a bad choice? That's a bad choice. That was easy. Next one. Telling the truth. Always a good choice. 
Next, cheating. Bad choice. We don't have to think about that one too much. Being honest. Always a good choice. My favorite. Next one. Murder. Little heavy, but we know that that's a bad choice, correct? All right, next one. Not murder. That is a fantastic choice. So that is a good choice. Next. Overeating. I may be a little bit guilty of that myself. And that is what? A bad choice. Next. Eating in moderation. That one's no fun, but we do know that it is a good choice. Next. Ooh, how do we feel about that one? Anybody guilty of that? Uh, unless your, your wife is in labor or you are an emergency medical technician or police officer, it's probably a bad choice. Next. Texting and driving. You guys are really quick to answer that one. <laughs> uh, I'm guilty of that. I know that that is something that the Lord is working on me with. Um, I do feel as though some of these text messages, whether it's saying yes or no, is really important, and it's not. So it is a bad choice. Next, overspending. That is a bad choice. Now, I'm really cheap, so I don't tend to do that, but we do know it's a bad choice. Next, yelling at your kids and spouse. That is a bad choice. Yeah, I, I think we can all be honest with ourselves that we have done that from, from time to time, and, and we know it's a bad choice. Last but not least, listening to God. Good choice. See, you guys are able to make good choices. I know when it comes, though, to the, to the big things, to the things that aren't quite so easy to navigate, um, it's not quite as simple as pray about it. But we also have a very handy resource. The Bible. If you're sure if you're doing the right thing and you look to scripture for it, chances are you will find what you need. If you want to do something and scripture tells you not to, you don't need divine intervention to realize that that is a bad choice. You don't need the floodgates of heaven to open to tell you not to do it. We don't even have to pray about it. You can just know, do not do it. There's a reason God doesn't want you to do something that's going to hurt you or hurt another person. Just read the word of God and you will know what you're supposed to do. God doesn't aim to be confusing or complicated. When we seek him, we find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Israel in this text as he encourages them to seek God and they will find him. Now, as we know about the Israelites, they were often doing the wrong thing, um, worshiping idols or doing whatever else that God wasn't asking them to do, which then made it a lot harder for them to get to the promised land, which is why it took them 40 years to get there. Their wayward behavior didn't get them too far because they were so distracted by their sin and by the things that they wanted to do. But we can't have half-hearted passion for the Lord. We can't seek him half-heartedly. We have to chase after him with all that we are. How do we seek him? We have to make time for him. Quiet our hearts. Get alone with him and pray. Read his word. Soak in his word. If you're not familiar with that term, it's just to take a scripture and, and, and read it and pray over it and write it down and literally soak in it, spend time in it. 
Speak it out loud. Whenever you're going throughout your day, maybe there's a scripture that you need to speak out loud to have victory over whatever it is is holding you back from listening to the voice of God. When we seek the Lord, we want more of him, his presence, not just what he can do for us. Even if God gave us everything we asked for, it still wouldn't be enough. No thing is meant to be enough because God alone is enough. If you're truly pursuing Jesus, you will find him. He isn't hard to find if we turn our eyes to him and off of ourselves. The Apostle Paul was a real person. We know this. Yes, he did live, but he was a real person with real problems. He didn't always get it right. He struggled the same as you or I. And he admits this in Romans 7, 15. It says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Oftentimes it's not knowing what the right thing is to do, but rather having the courage and desire to do it. Most times when we pray and we feel confused, it's because we don't like the answer. So Jesus would rest. Jesus would pray. And Jesus would obey. If we want to live like Jesus, we have to think, what would Jesus do here in this moment, in 2021? What would Jesus do? How would he treat this person? How would he react? How would he love this person in my life or that person? Do you know what I mean? That person that's the thorn in your flesh. Yet Jesus loves them as much as he loves you. If this sermon inspires you to go out and get your own WWJD bracelet, be prepared for what it could possibly mean for you in your life if you take that question seriously. It's not just a cute bracelet. It really is a way of life. Sometimes we make following Jesus more complicated than it needs to be. If a bracelet or t-shirt is enough to remind you to bring it back down, back down to earth, to simply following what Jesus would do, then I think you should get one. In fact, you can find one at the Lighthouse Bookstore for $1.50. That's where I got mine. If there's anything, though, I want you to realize, it's that being like Jesus is not impossible. Being Jesus is. I truly believe that if we are to be effective as Christ followers, it's crucial to know why God put us on this earth. What is our purpose? What are the gifts he has given us? So we are giving you an opportunity to learn what is a spiritual gift. On November 6th, we are going to have Dr. Stephen Elliott from Kingswood come to speak to us about spiritual gifts. It will be a great opportunity for anyone who isn't sure about their spiritual gifts to learn about them and then put them into practice. The bigger question remains, do I trust God with my life? Do you trust him? Do you trust that he has your best interests at heart? Do you trust that whatever it is he's asking of you, you'll be able to do it? That it'll give you the strength to obey? At this time, we're going to go to the Father. And we're going to seek him. And we know that we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. Because that is what Jesus would do. Father, I thank you for this time we've had together. God, I thank you that you move in the mundane, God, that you speak to us every day. Father, I thank you that we can trust you with our lives. I thank you that we can trust you with whatever it is 
that is on our hearts. God, I pray that you would move us to live like Jesus, to continue to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Father, I pray that you would make us more like your son. Help us to live each day as though Jesus is walking beside us, because he is. So, Father, as we continue in worship today, Lord, I pray that it will be a response, that we want to be more like Jesus, that we will be more like Jesus, and that we will surrender whatever it is, Lord, that's holding us back from obeying you. We love you, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.